hello everyone and uh another win for the old Avril and young james talk politics podcast for years now we've been um heckling albo and calling him a coward and all sorts of unpleasant things for his commitment to scott morrison's tax cuts for the wealthy and this week he has announced that he is remodeling those tax cuts so that 85 percent of australians will be better off than under scott morrison's plan under this new plan um Everyone earning under $150,000 will be better off than under Scott Morrison's plan. And those poor suffering people on $200,000 a year will have to deal with a tax cut of only $4,500 rather than $9,000. And I'm here with Everald Compton to talk about that. Well, well, it's, uh, well first of all, we've got to commend uh, Albo for his courage in finally facing up to it. He was holding this thing that he had made a commitment and he didn't want to appear to be a liar. But the fact is the world has changed in the almost five years since Morrison brought those cuts in. There's been COVID, there's been a couple of wars, there's been worldwide inflation. And, and there's no such thing as a government must must stick to something when the whole surroundings of it all has, has changed. And the elbow stuck to the loyalty bit thing, and then he finally realised, uh, and let's agree that he was smart enough to realise, and I think he was helped in coming to that decision significantly by Jim Chalmers, that change had to be made. And I believe that what he's done is as good as you mean. You can fiddle around the figures of a few percent here, a few percent there, but that's all pedantic. The fact is it seems to cover a maximum number of people, and there's people now trying to get him to change it further and they reckon the Greens were trying to get him to I think he, he's made a call. Jim Chalmers worked with him, obviously, in the call. I think they stick to the call unless there's some new logic that comes up that should change it. So I think it's been... We've got to give Albo and Jim Chalmers full credit for having the guts to make the change. Well, you, you raise a really good point there, and I think it's a point that not enough people have made, that, like, um, you know, Albo has faced the full front of a media assault about this, calling him a liar, a promise breaker, a backflipper, etc. And it's been on Channel 9, Channel 7, Sky, The Australian, The Telegraph, The Herald Sun. But these tax cuts were a Scott Morrison promise in 2019. In 2019, I had zero university degrees. Now I have two. Um, I lived in a different house to the one I do now. We lived in a different house. I played for a different cricket team. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time. I now do not. Uh, I did not have my P plates at the time. I was still on my L's, and now I'm eligible for my full license. Uh, I only had a part-time job. Now I'm working full-time, and so on. So look at how much the world has changed. You know, you can just think of where you were in 2019 when these tax cuts were first promised. You can think of how many significant things in your life are different now to what they were like back then. Um, such a different world, 2019 to now. And to insist on the maintenance of the status quo from 2019 in a world where so much has changed, because over five years, so much can change, is, I think, we talk a lot on this show about good governance and politicians being brave. And the fact that the media has had a massive, massive sook about so-called promise-breaking when it's a response to changing global economic conditions 
is a big reason why we have bad governance and a big reason why we don't have forward-thinking politicians. Because they know as soon as they do something like this, they get hounded, and it's pathetic. And, and look, I think we have to realise that in life we have to be pragmatic. I, I don't have time for people who are ideological or fundamentalist about anything because that means they live in this static world that's never going to alter. And if it does alter, they want to go crook and bring it back to uh, to what it was. As you know, in my life, I have a 10-year plan ahead of me. I always have. And, and so my 10-year plan obviously takes me up to age 102. Now, every year that I've had this plan for years and years gone back, <laughs> I've had to alter the plan ahead because in the course of every 12 months, something in the future I've planned, I could see was not going to happen because of certain change of events, both in the country and in my life and whatever. And if you don't upgrade your plan every year, you're an absolute deal. I mean, you're not facing you know, reality. So I know it in my own plan that nothing is ever the same and it changes year by year. And if any politician comes up with any need for a change because of an absolute factor that comes up in society, you're going to is simply acting with common sense and, in fact, responsibility in doing it, it, that. Exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, we can't be tackling 2024 problems with 2019 solutions. Um, we, we can't be pretending that a piece of legislation passed, that we can't be pretending that it's more important to adhere to a piece of legislation passed in 2019 that was unfair and unequitable back then, let alone now when there are cost of living pressures spiraling out of control. And this is this is a, look, you know, obviously me being me, I prefer um, a massive tax hike on everyone earning over 200 grand a year. But under the revised tax cuts, people earning 200 grand a year will still be getting $4,500 extra in their pockets on July 1, 2024 than they had in 2023. Um, the only effect of the change is to rebalance them so more of the tax cut flows to people earning less than 150 grand. And that's, again, 85% of the country will be better off under under these changes. And I think, look, there, yeah. there's, there's nothing perfect. There's, there's no perfect piece of legislation. It doesn't exist. But this is, this is a good, smart, and like you say, pragmatic move to respond to changing economic demands. And I think full-throatedly, the government should be commended for it. Yeah, and, and, and look, I agree with that. And look, the attack made on Albo in the media, you know, made me ill. It really does. You know, I'm I'm happy to criticise Albo any time he puts a foot wrong, but the, the attack on him this week has simply, in my view, highlighted the fact that there are people in Australia who want to drive deep divisions in Australia. Now, as you know, we've had a debate on hear about the date of Australia Day. And on Australia Day, all sorts of things happened, including both Indigenous people and Palestinian people marching, you know, for a cause. All the, these tax cuts, the, the attack on elbow over tax cuts is all part of this division in society that people fuel in all in all sorts of ways. And 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 We've got to we've got to calm it down. I think the, the what happened on Australia Day was just a symptom of life in Australia generally. You know, we 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 we've got these 
divisions in society. You and I can see it on the social media where people get hugely nasty with one another over something that was really a simple argument could be sorted out with a few nice words. But they've got to have this violence and accusations and and uh, you know and 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 what whatever you and and we seem to want to have a division over everything around the place and in Parliament our, our MPs at question time are an absolute disgrace. They are any young person sitting there looking at them screaming and yelling at one another have every right to say, well, if, they, if the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition and that everybody else said, why the hell can't I scream at my school teacher for heaven's sake? You know, they build yeah. these, have we have we got all these divisions, haven't we? And I mean, of course, um, divider-in-chief number one um, is Rupert Murdoch and his media yeah. machine. And with the tax cuts, again, 85% of Australians would be better off under Albo's plan. Uh, financially. Now, Murdoch brought uh, a story in the Daily Telegraph where he got this woman, a lawyer at Herbert Smith Freehills, who earns two hundred and twenty grand a year, to talk about how her and her husband, who earn a combined four hundred and forty grand a year, will be struggling under Albo's new plan. So we've got Rupert Murdoch, who pays zero tax in Australia, telling people earning $150,000 or less why they should be paying for people earning $440,000 or more to get a bigger tax cut. And it, it, it's just sickening. I mean, on, on January 26 this year, like you said, we saw some scenes where um, really passionate um, pro-Palestine and pro-change-the-date rallies were happening. And then in North Sydney, um, police foiled a bunch of neo-Nazis who about 60 of them all jumped on a yeah. train yeah, and to try dressed in black and wearing balaclavas to try to physically stand over and intimidate um, Invasion Day protesters and Palestine protesters. And, um, you know, I've before spoken about how the police and governments are generally light touch on these neo-Nazi people, but full credit to the New South Wales police and full credit to Chris Minns, who came out and said this is 110% unacceptable. Um, and these these people, these horrible horrible neo-Nazis come out on days like this. Um, and I mean, people will say, you know, oh, January 26, yeah, some pretty bad things happened, but it's in the past. We should all just move forward and get over it. But these neo-Nazis certainly don't want to get over it. In fact, they're out here celebrating um, those horrible things that happened, you know, 200, 250 years ago yeah. that led to the Australia we have today. And it's it's very worrying. Uh, true, and and, and, and I, I believe we we we, we have to um, uh, somehow or other change the whole confrontational way in which uh, you know life is at the moment in Australia to become more accommodating ways. You know, now at my old age, I've given up except locally. I drive my car around local suburbs, but I've given up going beyond my local suburbs. Get on a bus. I go on the bus regularly. I can read my Kindle and my phone in the bus. So I can't do that when I'm driving. But you get on the bus, and if the bus is five minutes late, people can't get on and say, "God, just what happened? You were late." They've got to abuse the driver for being late when it wasn't his fault. He, he was held up in traffic, and or, or there was some reschedule. 
And so they got they can't just say to the bus driver, they got to abuse him, you know, and, and, and this really reflects society, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, we're at a bit of an inflection point in Australian society where there are some really nasty elements across the board, um, be they sort of the explicit nasty elements, like, you know, the white supremacists um, and the, the neo-Nazis who are, you know, out there dressed head to toe in black looking to intimidate people um, who believe in um, progressive causes. But like you say, it's also... um. There's also a real rage at, at just the domestic level. Like we saw um, after Peter Dutton called for people to boycott Woolworths because they're not selling Australia Day merchandise, there were a bunch of Woolies in Queensland that got vandalised um, by people heeding Peter Dutton's call to take retributive action against Woolworths. I think one of them has been found as being prosecuted. Um, but there, there's just a real nasty undercurrent to a lot of these culture wars and stuff that's going on right now in society. And I think it's something, again, with, with, with the neo-Nazis on the train the other day, Chris Minns came out and just said, no, this is not acceptable. We will not have this in our state. And we need to be serious about this. We can't just treat it sort of with a with a limp wrist. We need to really sit down and figure out how to fix well, this. Well, it is, and I think it's a major issue in Australian society that you and I can keep advocating on this podcast. But let's leave Australia for a minute, James. Uh, we're not the only part of the world that's got problems now. Uh, in Israel, uh, the International Court of Justice disappointed me. They came out and just said to Israel, you've got to be more humanitarian, you've got to cut out the genocide. They could have said, you must cease fire and really put some guts in it, and they didn't. They sat off the fence. Now, mind you, the court's got no power anyway. It's up to Israel to do something. They had nothing to lose by coming out and saying there must be a ceasefire, but they gave this weak old decision. Now, somebody obviously got at them, you know, one way or another, but I was terribly disappointed that they basically sat on the fence. How did you say it? Yeah, they sort of punted, didn't they? I mean, South Africa brought this case alleging genocide um, was being committed by Israel in Gaza. We believe it is. Um, we support South Africa. In the International Court of Justice, they certainly didn't exonerate Israel, um, but they also didn't go as far as making a finding of genocide. They just sort of, they punted it and said, yeah, look, we've got a really serious situation going on and Israel needs to uphold its obligations under the Genocide Convention in doing what it is doing which is sort of a, a, a wishy-washy way of saying there might be genocide going on, but we're not going to comment on it. We're instead just going to gently remind um, Israel of its responsibilities, which is um, it, it's not the result we wanted in terms of putting international diplomatic pressure onto Israel, but it's, it's, it's also just, a I think, a deeply unsatisfactory answer for everyone involved, most importantly, Palestinians, um, who it, it's just more of the same for, for Palestinians, really. Yeah. And I actually believe that Australia should say to Israel now, let's distinguish between Netanyahu and the Israeli people. I'm all on side with the Israeli people. But I think we've got to say our aid now to you is dependent upon you getting a new prime minister. We'll keep the aid up. We'll even increase the aid. 
But you get a new prime minister. This bloke is only in power because he didn't win the election and he had to team up. The only people who team up with him, he was so on the nose, were the mad right. And they, their terms were that the Supreme Court had to be gutted of power and he had to get after Hamas and all these things. So he sold his soul to that and he, and he passed legislation to curb the Supreme Court, caused riots all over the country, but then the Supreme Court themselves said, struck the law down and said it was hopeless. But, but he did doing all of these things and the, the spy agencies of the world have conveyed to the media around the world that they know, the spy agencies in Australia, America, Russia, know that Mossad told Netanyahu that Hamas was massing on the border you know, for an attack. The, the Israeli soldiers posted along the border where they are every day could see things happening on the other side which were quite belligerent, and they reported it too. But Netanyahu took no action to stop it, and in fact was very slow to act when it was because he wanted an excuse for war because he was losing the battle politically at home, and the only way he could divert that was war. And so the Israeli people, have been, they deserve better than this guy. I know a lot of Israeli people. The way they build those kibbutz in the most hostile places and turn the desert into wonderful stuff. And they've got an absolute wrong, I don't know whether they've got the right word, but Netanyahu is a bloke who should not be leading any country and above all, he should not be leading Israel. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you put that really well and I, I don't think I have anything really substantive to add because you've, you've sort of covered the field. I, I just say, obviously... Australia withholding their aid to Israel wouldn't really damage Israel that much. We're not that big a major player in that sense. But more importantly, it would show the world that we do not stand for genocide. And I think the principle of it is probably the more important part because it takes countries to show leadership and break um, with sort of the, the status quo before that diplomatic pressure um, can start to like we can start to turn the screws and call for a more humane solution than what's going on now because there's nothing humane about the genocide going on. In oh, true. And it's just going to go on with more bloodshed and I don't think anyone knows how to end, but you and I will keep watching that every week. Let's move to the United States now. Uh, James, Donald Trump is three, uh, will handle his political stuff. He won Iowa. And he won the primary in uh, in New Hampshire. It was interesting that that Nikki Haley, the only survivor after Iowa, actually got forty six percent of the vote. And if Trump was the great almighty, she went from nineteen percent in Iowa to forty six percent in New Hampshire. And she's refused to bail out. And he's now attacking her as undemocratic and standing in his way. And she doesn't understand the people. And he's actually gone on a suicidal sort of assassination of her. And the next primary is in South Carolina, which is the state which she was the governor of before she became Trump's rep on the United Nations. And I actually think that she's going to cause him a bit of trouble. And the reason why Trump is attacking her is, is, is because he uh, he wants, uh, he, you know, uh, he knows that, that she could derail him, not beat him, but derail him. And so his uh, 
we handle that, we've got a couple of court cases we should talk about, but why, in your view, James, is he deciding that Nikki Haley is the devil incarnate? Well, let's just flag the fact that Nikki Haley absolutely sucks. Like, she wants a war with Mexico, she wants a war with China, she wants wars in the Middle East, she loves war. Um, Nikki Haley wants nothing more than to send the US to oppress all sorts of foreign populations. She is an evil human being. Um, But in terms of Trump, I think what we've learned over the past now seven years of Trump is that Trump is really just a giant baby. And if things don't go his way, um, all he can do, his only move is to throw his toys out of the cot and, um, you know, whinge and whine and cry and complain and insult and attack and bully. Um, And I mean, Nikki Haley is staying in the primary. Um, She's got next to no hope of winning unless Trump gets jailed. Um, But Trump sees himself as the, like the, not just the leader of the Republican Party, but the, the supreme leader, you know, Il Duce sort of leader type. And so anyone who is willing to challenge that, he sees like he, he sees it as his his right to be uh, the the sole power in that party. And so anyone willing to challenge that, he will throw his toys out of the cot um, and not accept that. And I think that's just sort of who he is. He takes what he wants. Well, well, true, and and, and it, it's frightening because I believe that if an election was held now, this very day in the USA, President, he would beat Biden, and so it's all very relevant to us. But let's move to his... Um, I don't want him to beat Biden, by the way, but I think he will. Uh, his court cases, you know, he's got the, the, the woman who he abused and Harvard and another thing has now had a massive award, around $100 million or whatever I'm... The figure doesn't matter. He's going to appeal to the Supreme Court and he's declared all the judges to be raving left-wing, you know, whatever he's called, everybody in the sun. And he's even appealed to his followers to say, look, they're picking on me again and this is now they're going to try and bankrupt me. And somebody, some of his followers have now opened a fund where they're saying to people all over America, Donald is being picked on, let's all put in the money so Donald doesn't have to pay this. And they're damn well putting it in, James. Now, what do you make of that? It, it's funny because, so <laughs> what happened is Trump defamed this woman, E. Jean Carroll, who um, she accused him of sexual assault. He came out and said all these unpleasant things. You know, she's a liar. She's trying to get money. Rah, rah, rah. She sued him for defamation. She won. And then immediately after that lawsuit, he went out and defamed her again and got all his supporters to start defaming her and harassing her. And this second one, a jury found, A, that he did sexually abuse her, and B, that he defamed her with all the things he said, and C, that he should pay her 83 million US dollars in damages. This was a jury who found that, and a jury that was seven out of nine white men. Um, So if anything bodes well for Biden, it's that a randomly selected group of seven out of nine white men were willing to um, call Trump out on his bullshit because obviously white men make up Trump's base. But um, yeah, his supporters are credulous schlubs. I mean, one, I was reading today, one underrated thing that will hamstring the Republican Party in the upcoming presidential election is that so much money is being used to fund Trump's legal cases. 
So rather than a regular election where donation money is going to ad campaigns and merchandise and pit stops and town halls and flyers and door knockers and all these things, so much money in the Republican campaign chest is just going to funding Trump's lawsuits. Uh, so the fact that his supporters keep putting in, I mean, it's a money tree for sure, but, you know, the, the funds are drying up. Um, and it's going to hurt the Republicans in the upcoming election in terms of the the money they can put behind their campaign. Republican candidates, you know, everywhere. And I think one of the reasons why he's after Haley, and I agree with you that I don't think Haley's presidential material at all. I only like her because she's stopping Trump. Uh, you know, but 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 the thing is that she is obviously stopping him from being the sole fundraiser. She's taken yes. money away from him. And yep. this is the big sin, you know, that's happening. So you and I will keep a watch on that. I mean, Donald is uh, not our favourite person. Well, let's get the good and bad guys of the week now. My good guy of the week is Jim Chalmers. Now, Jim uh, was uh, humble enough to... Uh, I know that he has put an enormous amount of work into this tax thing. He was aware very early on of what the issues are, and the formulating of all those tax scales and all that, that happened in the Treasury under his leadership, and he allowed his leader rightly to, to announce it all, and I'm glad Alba had that right. But Jim Chalmers did an enormous job behind the scenes with his usual humility, and I think the fact that they got it right in so many ways with those 85%, shows that there was a hell of a lot of work went in to get that right balance. And so I just want to praise my old mate, Jim Chalmers. Yeah, and fair enough. He well deserves it. I think um, to wrap up the point on the tax cuts, this is one of the moments where I can say, like, I'm proud to have campaigned, you know, for to get Albo up in the 2022 election. Like, this is a real moment where you can say, yes, this is different and much better than the alternative. So I think that's a really big and important thing. True, true. Now, who's your good guy of the week? Uh, well, Avril, I'm I'm sure you would have been one of the happiest people in the country a couple of days ago when Yannick Sinner ended Novak Djokovic's reign of terror in the Australian Open. Been two thousand. And I, I wanted you to know that I've got out my best bottle of scotch and I toasted <laughs> him with great, incredible. It had been <laughs> um, more than two thousand days since um, the Serbian maestro had lost on Australian soil. Uh, 2,000 days is something like a bit under seven years, um, six, seven years. So Novak's record in Australia is impeccable. Uh, you know, six or so years since he'd lost in the Australian Open. And Yannick Sinner finally stood up and put an end to it. Um, last night, um, Sabalenka won her second straight uh, women's Australian Open title, and full credit to her for that. And tonight we will watch as um, the Djokovic slayer Yannick Sinner goes head-to-head -head with the determined Russian, Daniil Medvedev, who I also have a lot of time for because he's a very impressive player. And um, also um, Zheng Pinwen, the runner-up in the women's Australian Open from China, she did really well um, to make it all the way to the final. So it's been a really awesome Australian Open um, with Sinner knocking off Novak, I think, being the highlight. Yeah, well, you know, it, 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 well, well it, 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 I think it's the changing of an era because we've now got Djokovic, I hope, being a bit humbled, and Nadal looks as if he's fading away. Federer's already stood down, Andy Murray. And so I think we're seeing a, 
changing of the game. And I hope that young Sinner is uh, one of the people leading that. Actually, you would have been proud of me in church this morning, Jan. We have a time in church where you can stand up and raise some matters that concern you. It only lasts a couple of minutes. And I got up with a, a, a lady, who was a, a woman who was a preacher today, I know her well, and, and I got up and I said, are you aware that we have a sinner playing in the grand final of the Australian Open? Are you going to preach a fiery sermon about how we should never have a sinner uh, you know, winning the Open? Everybody in church laughed and she laughed and no comment. Afterwards, when we're shaking hands, she said to me, Everett, I will preach an impassioned sermon in favour of anybody who beats Tokovic. <laughs> uh, your, your influence runs far and wide, Everett. Far and wide. Uh, anyway, the bad person of the week is Susan Lee. Now, now look, she, she is, as you and I know, and without being rude to her, you, you know, I'm sure that somebody who loves her, so that's a bit hard to work out, but. She puts her foot in it every time she happens to me. And this week, she got up instantly when Albo made her his announcement without doing any research. You know, she got up and said, we will repeal the whole lot when we're in power. Don't you spend those tax cuts. We're going to repeal them at the next election. Now, a more stupid statement you cannot make when 85% of the people have got to help and the 85% of voters are therefore, you know, happy about this, are they going to vote for someone who says, we're going to take it off you? I mean, your political now would Anyway, the next day, she backed down and said that the matter was under consideration, but you can't get much more stupid than that, mate, can you? Yeah, she's just an enormous lightweight. And I mean, to be fair <laughs> to Susan Lay, she's not the only enormous lightweight on the coalition front bench. I mean, with the fall of Josh Frydenberg at the last election, they mm -hmm. lost sort of their uh, the guy who was going to be their beacon of hope for the future. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah so anyway, so she's my bad one. Who's your bad one, man? Um, on a similar note, and I, I hate doing this, but I'm I'm going to say it's Adam Bant from the Greens who's come out and said that, you know, the tax cut changes don't go far enough and the Greens would consider um, opposing them in the Senate unless Albo puts them a bit, like, pushes even harder. And you mentioned this before, and I mean, I totally agree that if I were dictator for a day, they don't go far enough and I would change them to make them even fairer for people on lower incomes. Uh, the problem for Adam Bant, though, is twofold. The first is if Albo's changes don't go through because the Morrison changes are already legislated, they will still happen on July 1, 2024. So if the yeah. Greens block this, we're getting the Morrison changes, which are even less fair. But two... Um, I'm not dictator for a day and governments get voted in and voted out. And pragmatically, the political realities of it, uh, unfortunately, to my mind, don't, that they act as a constraint in going even further. And I think Albo in the changes has struck the right balance between fairness and not doing something that would piss off the entire electorate to the extent where he'd get booted out. And I think the Greens should take the win because the previous position was Albo won't change him at all. And we've talked heaps about how that position was really bad and wrong, but that was the previous position. We've got the changes and it let, let's just work together, you know, to, to push them through. We don't need to think well, well, over this. 
I suppose the Greens feel they've got to let everybody know that they're going to try and get a better deal for them and whatever you and mm. you know and big bats. It finally boils down to the fact that Albo is going to get back in his office and say, now, look, mate, if you try to alter this, I've got no option but to pull the plug on the whole lot and say, you're going to go to the next election, mate, as having inflicted the third age tax cuts on because they're going to happen. Now, either you come along with me or you hold the can and the Greens probably won't win a single Senate seat but with 85% of the population having lost them because they got some you know, ideological feeling about how it ought to be done more. I think Elbow's got to call his bluff. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good call. I think that's a good call. And I think we've had a good chat this week. I think we've covered a lot. Well, yeah, of- we have. We have. And, and, and the world is, uh, is getting naughtier every week, young James. And you, you and I are going to have to get terribly self-righteous to look after the world in the future, aren't we? I mean... Yeah, I got the feeling sometimes that you and I are the only two gentlemen left, mate. That's a possibility, isn't it? We do our best. We do our best. <laughs> Good on you, James. Talk to you next week. Yep. Have a great week, Ev. Thanks for listening, everyone. Okay. Bye for now. Okay.